Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is February 24th, 2023, and I'm joined today as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And Dr. Matthews, uh, today we're going to try to answer the musical question, is a four-day work week or a four-day school week in your future? And it may well be, Tom. You know, I watch the news at night, the the local news, and I've been seeing lately a, a number of stories about local Texas school districts that are moving to four-day work week or school week. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's always surprising to me because they talk about it. And one of the reasons when they, when they talk to the administrators in these school districts, typically rural areas, okay. and they said, we're having trouble getting teachers and retaining them. But when we shifted to a four-day school week, we had a lot more success hiring teachers and uh, and keeping them on staff. And that raises questions, well, what about the Friday? You know, if, if a lot of people work, and they said we're, in some cases, they're providing some kind of, some of the teachers are coming in, and they're providing an extra day, at least a kind of a daycare, for lack of a better term, for the students to be able to come if they need a place to go on Friday. Because, because their, their parents, parents are, are working, gone. right, right yeah. And there might be younger children, so they have to do that. Uh, and, and so some of these school districts are are very positive about it. And so I went and looked, and lo and behold, there's about 40 Texas school districts that have already transitioned to a four-day school week. This is kind of stunning to me. This, to me, this is a very under-the-radar development, <laughs> you know, because until, until, you, until you started writing about this and talking about this, I, I was completely unaware of this. It's a big change. Another dozen or so are in the process of doing it right now, and several more have put it on an agenda for the school districts, the school boards, to be able to consider in mm-hmm. the near future. And I thought, well, this is interesting because that doesn't it may not work well for a lot of of uh, families that have that are working. But then I find out that the state of Maryland is looking into this by creating a pilot project to try to encourage small uh, larger businesses, those with 30 or more employees to transition to a four day work week. And the state of Maryland is providing subsidies to encourage them to do that. So it's not that you're going to be, it's not that you, if you're doing this in Maryland, it's not that you're doing it and you're actually continuing with your 40 hour work week. You're just doing 10 hour day, four 10 hour days. They in fact are keeping the eight hour work week, 32 hours and the same benefits. And that's why they're providing the subsidies because you're, um, you're in essence trying to ask people to do the same amount of work in less time. And they're, they feel like this is helpful for the state. Of course, they're, Maryland's also a liberal state, and yeah. subsidizing businesses is what liberals do. <laughs> or, 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 <laughs> or, or, or individuals or anything yeah, exactly. else. Anything else they can get out to. Well, we, we started off talking about schools, and then we quickly switched over to business. And it strikes me that, that they're, they're not, it's not the same situation. It's not the same situation, mm-hmm. but it does seem to be going hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Nebraska, for instance, has a number of their school districts have transitioned over to four-day school weeks. And so you look at this and you say, well, that's it's interesting, but there's also a much broader movement going on trying to get businesses interested in going to a four-day week. Now, the the idea of a business on a four-day work week is actually not a new concept. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I was doing a little reading about this, and actually during the fuel crisis of the 70s hmm. was sort of when this kind of first cropped up, where there were businesses who said um, – 
you know, because not only not only were gas prices high, but just the costs of heating and utility costs to businesses were higher as well. And so the idea was switching to a four day work week Mm -hmm. would save the employees a day of commuting, would save them some money, would save the business money. Uh, and it was it was almost like a and a byproduct of it is you get you get a three day weekend. That, but that wasn't the main intent. That was a byproduct. The idea was cost savings mm-hmm. both to workers and to the business. What you're describing it sounds like it's not being driven by cost savings. It's being driven by some other factors. And right. with schools, you said this is really just a supply and demand thing. We're trying to get teachers. For, yeah, for the for the schools, it seems to be the case. For businesses, I've uh, for a while, I'm, and this is before the pandemic, a number of medical offices, doctors, and dentists, and so forth, would work a four day week, Monday through Thursday, and then if they had something that you know, if they had had to close down for a few days or something, and they had some overrun, then they might come in on Friday to do that. But uh, a number of businesses have been shifting to that. Now, this is of course not your. Uh, stores that are open 24-7, like a Walmart or something like that. But even they could shift to a four-day work week. They would just have to hire a few more people to come in and they're— Just be on rotation. Just be on a a different rotation. But interestingly, uh, this has popped up in the media this past week because um, we found out that in Great Britain, they actually did a a survey there, a pilot project there that just recently ended— and in Great Britain, a number of companies uh, joined in on this. So there were 61 companies participating in this pilot project. Fifty Once that it ended, 56 of them said they were going to continue with the four-day week, even now that the pilot project is over. And many of them are saying, most of what I'm seeing is actually very positive results. They're saying in general that, well, our people were more productive in that time. They felt better about it. Um, they felt like they were able to get the same amount of work done in 32 hours that they were getting done in 40 hours. Just a range of different things, which simply simply said that the uh, employees were happy with being able to do this and were uh, and wanted to see that going going further. And in Great Britain, they were still paying them the same full week and same benefits, even mm-hmm. though they were only putting in 32 hours, which is actually a different. It's actually a different topic than than the four day work week because you know the the old four day work week you were still putting in forty hours a week right you were still doing forty you you, you were coming in at you know six a.m. or you you know you were working a couple of extra hours every day so Mm -hmm. you were still doing forty what you're describing is actually a movement to reduce the forty hour work week essentially to redefine the work week you know as a you know thirty two thirty four hour you know work week and I have to wonder what's driving that. Um, and I have to wonder if it's related to coming out of the pandemic and people finding out that, you know, they were at least as productive not coming into the office five days a week mm-hmm. as, as they used to be. And, and maybe in some cases they felt they were more productive because they could, you know, they could work in whatever blocks of time they felt were most productive for them. Right. Which is not necessarily, you know, nine to four or eight to five. I think it's fair to say that the pandemic uh, forced a lot of rethinking about how people work, when they work, and where they work. And of course, this doesn't apply to farmers and ranchers. Who, right. They have seven days a week job. Yeah. Uh, the 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 animals still have to be taken care of. In fact, if their kids only have to go to school four days a week, that's an extra day they can be out helping I, in the field. I actually thought that one of the reasons rural states, uh, rural districts could do this is because if you're working on the farm mm-hmm. and kids are off an extra day, then they can come home. The, the parents are home because they're working on the farm. Well, and, you know, as as most people 
have heard, the whole design of our school of our school calendar right now is basically still an agricultural calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, summer's off and all of that. Yes, it is. So, I mean, these things these things do affect uh, schedules and calendars and things like that. Uh, there's a difference though between, you know, if you're gonna if you're again comparing school week and work week, mm-hmm. if if you're saying uh, we are redefining the work week. It's no longer 40 hours. We feel like people, in, at least in many cases, can be just as productive in 32 or 34 hours a week. Um, but if you apply that same logic to the school week, you're talking about fewer hours of instruction, mm-hmm. which seems like a wrong direction to I be going. I think the schools are actually increasing the hours in the day, at least some. I don't know. I don't think they're doing it by two hours or so, but I think okay. they are increasing the hours during the school day just a little bit. Yeah to help offset that. Or the other thing you could do is you could just make the school year a little bit longer. Yes. You know, a couple a, weeks longer or whatever. Another option. But they mm-hmm. the, the school districts seem to be, the ones I have heard from or seen seem to be very happy with, with the results they're getting so far. It's really interesting, though. I, I keep going back to this. I apologize if it's redundant. But there's different things driving these different things, right? Different things For, driving. What, what, it, it's, not, it's not environmentalism or energy efficiency or cost savings that's driving the idea of a four-day school week. Mm-hmm. It's just you you got to lure, you got to have teachers. Now, you as, you, as you can imagine, uh, looking over at what's happening in the EU and other places where it's, it's actually catching on a good bit more, uh, unions are all for this. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. No, <laughs> no doubt. Well, that, but, but that's, that takes us, I think, to an interesting point. I'd like, why are we even talking about this on a policy podcast. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a sociology podcast. This is a policy podcast. So what are the policy implications? Like where where would we want to draw some bright lines here? So when you when we were looking at the 40 hour week uh, and the five day week, this this actually interest in this all got started back in the 1860s. And then the state of Illinois, if I remember right, in the 1880s was the first day to go to a 40 hour work week. In other words, um, reduced to a 40-hour Reduced work to a, yeah, because okay. people work Saturdays. Right, yes, yeah, okay. And so once you got into the uh, uh, to the 20th century, there was more pressure, unions putting pressure on this. The federal government, I think, went to a 40-hour week, uh, five-day week in about, uh, oh, 1938. And then by 1940, I think the federal government passed that as the standard for the country. And then, of course, when you do that, then you get overtime for things over 40 hours. So that works well for people who want to put that time in. The point being is there was a gradual trend towards this, and then it finally became a government mandate. Yeah. And now, because Maryland is looking at this as as something as a pilot project, but you can well imagine that if, if you come up with schools transitioning to a four-day week, and then if unions jump in on this and there are some positive responses on this, that unions and, and some state governments may step yep. up and say, we want to try to not just make this an option. Because f- from our standpoint, if a business likes this idea, if, it, if a business thinks it works for its employees and its customers and it, it's able to be as efficient, do well and please those, Businesses will likely move to it voluntarily. They don't have to have the government coming in and telling them to do that. Yeah, with our, with our with our limited government uh, bias, right? You know, well, I guess what we would say is, uh, if it works for the business, if it works for their employees, their customers, you know, school districts, if that's what they have to do in order to retain teachers and all that kind of stuff, that's one thing. It's another thing for government to come in and start mandating it, right? 
you know, although. But, but you know that if this if it works fairly well, there will be some progressives oh, out sure. there who want to try to step well, up and, and start and, mandating. And, and uh, you know, government has historically been involved in labor law. Yes. And it's typically been, you use the term progressives, it's t- typically been a priority of the progressive movement mm-hmm. to have the government involved in labor law. Right. And, you know, it could be anything from outlawing child labor, you know, which there's probably not not many of us that would have a problem with that. Um, minimum wage laws and right. things like that, overtime laws and things like that, probably a little more still, intrusive than... Especially the minimum wage is still out right, there. Right, right, exactly. Um, and, and the key difference here is, as you mentioned, it's not it's not four days at 10 hours a day, it's four days at, thir- at eight hours a day, which becomes a backdoor increase because if I'm getting the same amount of pay and the same amount of benefits... Yep. For eight hours less, yeah. that's in essence a twenty percent raise. Yeah, and that's like that's like mandating a twenty percent pay increase. And the other the other thing, at least at the at least at this moment when we're recording this podcast, uh, businesses are already having a hard enough time finding enough employees. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're going to take your existing employee base and say, okay, you don't have to work forty hours a week anymore; you only have to work thirty two hours a week, you're just going to exacerbate that problem. Right? You, you, Am I thinking about that right? You because, may very well. On yeah. the other hand, people who have not gone back to the workforce may be more interested uh, to go okay. in the workforce if it's only 32 hours on the sidelines, and you're right. getting full time. Yeah. Um, so, And that may attract some uh, seniors who have stepped out and retired and decide, well, my, I, I'm willing to work 32 hours. I don't want to put in 40 hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we would draw some bright lines here about it's different for government to mandate social change. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different thing than government essentially responding to social change, right? So, like, if, if the 32-hour work week for certain businesses just sort of became a standard, then there's really nothing wrong with government sort of formalizing that. Right. Because there are things that are keyed off of the work week, right? I mean, do you get health insurance from your employer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you have, to, you, you have to be a full-time employee. How do we define full-time employee? Exactly. You know, those sorts of things. There's so, several things that would come into play if we're if it actually starts becoming – more than just a small trend, but a a growing trend that's being widely adopted. It seems to me, um, wrapping up here, that the COVID pandemic, we twenty, we'll probably look back in twenty years and see lots of things like this that were disrupted by the COVID pandemic, I, I, or that the change was accelerated. By I have the an pandemic. example. The, we've been trying to, t- we've been talking about telehealth, people using. Uh, their uh, uh, computers, laptops, iPads, and so mm-hmm. forth, to be able to interact with doctors. Yeah. Uh, and and that was just, it had been out there for years. It just was not catching on for several reasons. But the during the pandemic, the government wanted to try to, exa- wanted to, try to accelerate that because mm-hmm. they wanted people not going into the doctor's right, office if right. they didn't have to. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that you, has, had, you had a problem where you really needed people to see the doctor. But, but you didn't you, want them transmitting the, the virus. Right. So that, that actually has accelerated the move towards telehealth. So we've seen, and uh, it just seemed to be hitting up against a, a roadblock. It just, people wanted to be able to go into their doctor. Once the pandemic hit, they, they didn't want to go into their doctor, and sometimes but they wanted when, to see a doctor. Sometimes when you're forced to do something, you look back and say, well, that wasn't so bad after all. Right. I, I remember uh, teleconferencing, right? Mm-hmm. And And it was like, you know, people kept telling us, futurists kept telling us that, you know, we were going to start doing a whole lot more teleconferencing. And, and people said, ah, that, I don't want to have a meeting like that. You know, that's ridiculous. And now we've all become accustomed to having meetings where we're looking at our colleagues in little squares. And it's not as good at being in person. But mm-hmm. 
it might be better than having to fly to another city yeah. or to fly to Europe well, it's or, more or to get in the car and drive into the office for no other reason but to have that meeting. It's more efficient. It costs less to do it. Right. And in some cases, you can just take your your the video off and you can accomplish some other things while the well, meeting is going true. on. That's true. And you might even get away with not having to wash your hair that day. You might. <laughs> or shave. You might even get away with not having to shave that day. Yeah, I, I have this strong suspicion that uh, we're going to look back and see a lot of things in the work world that just aren't ever the same again, mm-hmm. and that COVID either either initiated it or accelerated it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's how change happens, right? That's yep. how change happens. It, it's it's forced by circumstances. It's forced by unexpected things that happen, and and all of that. Uh, well. Um, don't expect IPI to switch to a four-day work week anytime no, soon. No, I suspect we'll still be on seven days. <laughs> seven days, yeah. We're, we're on duty all the time, We're on we? duty all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed that podcast. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org, where you can sign up if you'd like to receive notices of new podcast episodes, new content, and upcoming events, including policy briefings done on little square windows on your computer. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.